to consider the gospel in the season of Advent. So Mark chapter 4, we are making our way through this gospel, and I know we're getting up close to the end of this year, and our goal is to make it to the whole gospel um, by the end of the school year, but don't worry, we will catch up if it doesn't seem like we are making a lot of progress, but we are making progress, I promise, and today we are going to look at one of my favorite stories in the Gospel of Mark. Isn't that cool? So, Mark chapter 4. And before we read the passage, um, when I was preparing this message and kind of writing it, I, I was thinking of how to illustrate some things. And I was just kind of, I went back to the passage and just read it simply. And I was reading a really great preaching book um, because you never good enough at preaching. You always got to get better, I guess, in my mind. And so I'm reading this preaching book, and he, and he talks about we need to always make sure that we read, when we're reading in, in the Bible, we have to always kind of remind ourselves of what came before this passage and what comes after it. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to read just a chapter two before Mark four, and I'm going to read a chapter two after. And I did that, and I, and I kind of got this picture of Jesus. That he's been doing a lot of teaching, as you notice, like um, he has been with his disciples for a little bit of time, and he has been showing them some religious opposition. He keeps talking to them about parables and something about a seed, the parable of the sower. But now we get to this passage, and it kind of seems like Jesus is taking his disciples on a field trip. Now, I'm sure all of you have fond memories of taking field trips when you were in grade school. Um, field trips are meant to be out-of-classroom learning experiences. I can think of one field trip in particular. In the fifth grade, we called it the Sea Lab trip. And I grew up in California, and so in the fifth grade, we're learning all about uh, plankton and marine biology and all the different stuff that goes in the sea. And it's one thing, right, to read about plankton. And the, the blue whale, the largest mammal ever, doesn't eat big sharks or fish. It eats plankton. And you're like, that's just so weird. And, you, and you're reading about this, but then they're like, hey, pay $55, hop in this bus, bring $5 from McDonald's on the way home. And we drive down to the port of San Pedro, and we hop in this little boat, and it's like choppy, and you're kind of going, and they, they catch a stingray, and they let you touch it, and they catch some other stuff, and in it was like, you know, like when you used to buy like cans of Coke, it came with that little plastic six thing, and they, they brought that up, and I think they just had it on there as like, this is why we don't buy plastic, because it pollutes the ocean. I think they just, they didn't probably find it then, they just threw it in there to make some political action with fifth graders, but... Um, and here is the cool part. At the end of the trip, we finally get back, and they get us the microscope, and we can we get seawater, and we see the plankton. We see the little stuff that you can't see with your eye. And in a way, I was really excited. Like, this is really cool stuff. Something that a book can't get me excited about. Sometimes, you know, depending on the kind of learner you are, field trips are awesome. And field trips are awesome because you don't have to sit in a room, and it's usually kind of fun because you're with your friends on the bus, and... You're flirting with this girl, and da-da-da-da, right? But Jesus is going to take his disciples on a little disciple field trip. He's been talking to them a lot, but now Jesus is poised to really kind of lean in and tell them who he is. 
right? And so uh, tonight we get two little stories. And actually the section that we're looking at actually comes in a section where Jesus does four really unique miracles to describe who he is. And tonight we're going to look at two of these miracles. And next week we'll finish the rest of the section and look at the next two miracles. Um, But if you would with me, um, if you can go away with one thing tonight. This is what I want you to go away with. Because Jesus is in control, you can trust him. Because Jesus is in control, we can trust him. Let's read Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with the shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out of, came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Kind of weird. The herdsmen fled and told it's in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends, and then tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. 
And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that in this moment where we look to your word, that you would give us faith to take these words as truth, that we would believe every word you have spoken to us. And Father, I just pray that you give us faith to trust you in all things and in all ways. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Because Jesus is in control, we can trust him. So today in this passage, with these two stories, we get two reasons of why we can trust Jesus. Uh, And before we get to those two reasons really quick, I just want to talk about trust for a second. Um, As I just think about the nature of trust, isn't it kind of an interesting thing how trust works? So one, um, when I hear the word trust, I'm reminded of a situation where something had happened at a summer camp that I went to, and I went up to this girl, and I asked her what happened, and I remember her saying the words, for some reason, this is what I think of, and she just kind of like, she's like, well, I'm not sure I can trust you, right? Have we ever said that to someone, or had those words said to us, that we tend to only trust people who are close to us, or who we don't feel threatened by, or who we think won't do something, some kind of harm with the information we give them, right? So trust depends on the person, right? But isn't trust also measured in degrees? Like, I can trust Adam to go get me a cup of water, but do I trust him enough to hold my newborn? I don't know. Do I? Maybe not. He seems scared of that idea. Yeah, he is. (laughs) We might trust someone uh, to fill us in what we missed in our math class, like, hey, we went over these problems and we have this worksheet. We might trust them to tell us that information, but we might not trust them with our, our, with our secrets. Or, interesting enough, it could be the exact opposite. We can trust somebody with our secrets, but they're lousy in school. We would never trust them to tell us what happened in class. <laughs> so isn't it kind of interesting? Trust depends on the person and the amount of time we've known them and how we feel threatened by them. But trust also is given to some things, but not all things. But here's what I like to say. Jesus wants for all of us to trust him in every way to the largest degree. Jesus does not just want to be someone in your life where you run to him and you ask him, Uh, to forgive you when you commit a big sin. Jesus does not just want you to trust him with the moment where you're like just at wit's end. He wants you to trust him in everything and in every way, in the small things and in the big things, with our lives, with our futures, with our problems, with the pains and the heartache that you face. Jesus wants you to trust him. So, Why should we trust him? Like I said, there are two reasons of why we should trust Jesus based on this passage. The first one is this. We can trust Jesus, you, you can trust Jesus because he controls nature. Because he controls nature. So like I said, one of my favorite miracles is this story. And part of understanding um, the story is understanding the, the geography, right? So the Sea of Galilee, you can Wikipedia this if you want to do some fact-checking, but is approximately 13 miles long, and it's about 8 miles wide. Now, what's really unique about the Sea of Galilee, listen to this, it is about 686 feet below sea level. So it is the largest fresh body of water 
beneath the sea level. And the thing is that it's also surrounded by really big mountains on both sides. So imagine you have this somewhat large body of water, right? The largest fresh body of water in Israel even today. And it's really below sea level, and there's mountains near it. So what would happen is that you would have um, a system on the mountain rush down really quickly, all the way down to uh, 686 below sea level, and it would cause like almost instantaneous windstorms. Because part of it, like, typically, if you're an experienced fisherman, like a lot of these disciples were, you could probably look, you're like, hmm, mm, I, think, I think a storm's brewing, I can hear some stuff, the dirt smells a little funny. Like, like typically, if you know you're going to go into choppy waters. But the thing is, the Sea of Galilee, you never know when a storm can arise. And so this is what happens. Uh, imagine you're in a boat. Right, and I'm not thinking it's like a big carnival cruise liner. Like this is probably a little wooden boat with some cloths as like um, sails. And you're an experienced fisherman, so you've kind of been through a few coils yourself, and and you're kind of going through it. But but now it's like it's getting choppy, and it's just a windstorm. But man, there's some big clouds, and oh, we hear some thunder. Next thing you know, more than choppy waters, there's waves that start breaking. And the condition just gets worse and worse and worse. But you're a fisherman. You've been through this. And so you, you kind of, you're telling this guy to do this, but maybe your heart rate's starting to elevate a little bit and your voice is starting to get a little bit more stern with people. You're saying, go do this, go do that. Hey, bring this sail down. Hey, hey, turn this. And next thing you know, you're in awe of panic. Your voice is scared. You're like, I've been in storms, but I have not been in this kind of storm. Imagine Peter, like, like with all respect, probably the best fisherman of them all. We kind of get that impression in the Gospels. And they're scared. Their hearts are racing, and they start hoping for the best. And where was Jesus? Asleep. It sounds like he had a nice little cushion, right? It's like, oh, Jesus got a nice little bed chilling over there. Probably like under deck, like, not even bothered by it, didn't even notice it. And they, they come up to Jesus frantically, and they're like, you know, imagine like one of those things, like you shake him really hard, like, and then they, they, they tell him, like, dude, like, do you care that we're going to die? Like, do you, does this even matter to you? That's like Aaron's translation, right? Like, what, what do they actually say? They said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Let's get this picture of Jesus kind of like, uh, rubs his eyes, one of those things, like kind of cranks the neck, like what's storm? Okay, <sighs> you know, gets up, kind of windy, walks to the bow of the boat, looks back at his disciples, like seeing their faces. One's probably over the side throwing up, you know. <laughs> and was, one of my favorite pastors says, with the same voice that spoke those very waters and winds into existence at creation. It says, peace be still. Can you, just, can you imagine from one moment to such panic and huge waves and you're about to lose your life to instantaneously glassy sea where you look over and you see your reflection. And Jesus, again, he turns back and he looks at them. He says, hey, um, Guys, where's your faith? Have you, have you still no faith? 
So, you know, some people think that Jesus is kind of rebuking the disciples here, like looking at them like, guys, what's the matter with you? Did you know who I am? Come on, like, get with it. Like, where's your faith? But what's the matter with you? And maybe, maybe he's rebuking them subtly in a small way, but I don't really think he's being as pointed as some people think he is. I, I think Jesus was actually thrilled, absolutely thrilled to give his disciples a glimpse into who he really was as the Son of God. Like, part of the reason why I love this story is because it's a great imagery of both the humanity of Jesus and his deity. Like, the dude was tired. He kept talking in parables. He's like, I'll tell you, after preaching, you're tired. Jesus is preaching all day. He's like, I need a break from you all. I'm going to take a little, little cat nap here, you know? Like, at the same time, he, he is honored and thrilled to give them a glimpse of who he really is. And I think Jesus is kind of like uh, trying to give them a, a little field trip, right? A little learning experience. But here's what I love. Look at verse 25 with me. Excuse me, uh, not 25, uh, verse 41. It says, and they were filled with great fear. Okay, let's just do a little bit of Bible study observation here. Okay, why is that unique? That after the storm is calmed, that they're filled with great fear. Because a minute ago, they were like, we're going to die. Do you even care that we're going to die? Like, imagine, like, a tornado's coming, like, ah. <laughs> tornado disappears, or a hurricane, or storm, whatever you want to call it, windstorm, disappears. You would think, like, heart rate begins to settle down. You're like, Jesus, thanks, man. <laughs> the text actually says they are more afraid after the storm on calm. I mean, so, again, Jesus, he looks at them one minute, they're all scared. Like, do something, Jesus, peace be still. The next time he looks back at them, they're all scrunched up in the corner, hiding, looking at this dude, like, who the heck is this guy? Who is the man that even the wind and the sea obey him? And I think Jesus here is, is kind of saying, guys, like, do, you, do you have faith? Like, do you still not know who I am? I'm the Lord of creation. I'm the one who spoke these winds and these waters into existence. I control nature. I control creation. And I'm picturing Jesus kind of saying here, guys, look, I got you. I'm going to take care of you. I can do anything. In a way, Jesus was saying this. There is nothing outside of my power and control. You can trust me. The whole premise of a disciple, of a Christian, is this. is someone who realizes their weakness and then turns to Jesus. Listen, let me tell you something, guys. Jesus is not looking for people who that in the middle of the storm... Say, like, hey, hey, don't wake up, Jesus. We'll figure it out. I, I can do it on my own. I, I, don't, I don't need Jesus. Like, like, I mean, maybe if we start, like, the ship is going under, maybe it's time to wake up Jesus. But, you know, I, I, we can do it. No, 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 no. Jesus. Because, guys, listen, I, I want to show this to you. I, I want you to know that I am in control of all things. Do you know why? 
so that you'll trust me. And a disciple is someone who realizes that. I need help. Will you come and help me? The point of this little story, right? It's just a couple of verses, right? Verses 35 through 41. The point of this little story is to show us the greatness of Jesus' power. That he has power over the winds and the sea. And do you know why it does that? Do you know why we're, we're given this story? So that we would trust him. Like, I'm, I'm a California kid. I didn't grow up on the coast, but I, I went to the beach quite a bit. This is one of my favorite stories because, because like, the ocean can be scary. Like, if one moment you're having fun, the next minute, like, we call them, like, heart-thumping waves where they get so big and they're crashing so hard that you're, like, kind of scared. And to Jesus, it's nothing. He's got it. So let me say a few things about this point. There can be a lot of hard and difficult things in our lives. Let me tell you something. With all of those things, Jesus wants to be the person that you run to to trust in all the situations. Maybe you're a senior and you're thinking about your future plans and where to go to school and you're graduating soon and there might be some anxiety of which school and how to pay for it all and your future. And let me tell you, Jesus wants you to trust him. Maybe there's problems at home. Maybe uh, your parents' relationship uh, with you isn't the best. Jesus wants you to trust him with that situation. Maybe just generally in life, guys, listen, you might just feel lost and uncertain and feel like you're kind of wandering down an aimless path and life just seems kind of wish-washy. Even in that, Jesus wants you to trust him. This is where this passage is asking all of us to kind of let go of us trusting our ways, that I can figure it out. I can just do it on my own. I'm just going to go to the library, check out the books, and, you know, I might have some rough patches, but I'm going to make it work for me. But what's our main point? Because Jesus is in control, we can trust him. Because the one who controls even the winds and the sea can control your life because he loves you. Um, one last thing I'll say about this point, and we'll move to our next point. Let's remind ourselves again um, whose idea it was to get in the boat. Look, look down. Let's just, let's just look at the Bible. Verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them. Who's he in that sentence? Who's the direct object there? Jesus. You guys ready for this? Jesus sometimes needs to take us into the classroom of life to teach us this very difficult point. Sometimes, guys, here, here it is. Sometimes the Lord will purposely lead you into a storm in order to get you to the point where you call out to him, Lord, do you even care? Lord, are you even here? To get us to the point, to help us realize that, yeah, he's there. And he's in control. And because he can control the wind and the seas, we can trust him in anything. Sometimes the Lord will purposely lead you into a storm, just like the disciples, to get you to the point where he can say, hey, 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 listen, listen, 
I got you. I got you. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Because Jesus is in control, we can trust him. That's the first reason. So, uh, because Jesus has power over, over nature. Second point is this. The reason why we can trust Jesus is because he is over darkness. So, I won't lie to you. The next story is kind of a weird story, right? Uh, it's unique. And I kind of struggled with how to, like, talk about it, right? Because, um, in a way, I don't think many, I don't think when I look at Noah over there that he has a legion of demons in him and he's chilling out naked in graveyards, right? Like, uh, right? Like, that's, it's kind of like a unique thing. Like, hey, like, so I'll, I'll tell you really quick. Like, one of the best ways, one of the best ways to read the Bible, guys, listen, is to try to find yourself in one of the characters. I mean, I'll give you a little hint here. You were never Jesus in the story. You were never really the hero. And so we kind of have to find ourselves. There's two really characters in this story. There's this, like, uh, demoniac guy, and there's Jesus. And so we're not Jesus, and so there's this thing of, like, okay, like, what, what does this have to say for me as a high schooler? So here's the story. There's some demon-possessed guy. He apparently lives in a cemetery. Um, he's running around naked, and no one can chain him up. And clearly, there's a lot of, like, mental illness here, and he's struggling. But... Um, what happens is when Jesus comes up from afar, we have a really important observation here. Go ahead and look down at verse 7. And when crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Now here is really interesting, right? So all the, all the way through Mark's Gospel so far, we have a number of characters, right? So we have the disciples, we have Jesus' family. We have the religious leaders. We have demons like this people. And all of the people I just mentioned before, Jesus' family, Jesus' disciples, Jesus, the religious leaders, they all have a hard time of really understanding who this Jesus is. As mentioned back in 4, verse 41, where the disciples literally say the question, who the heck is this guy? Who then is this? No one understands who Jesus really is. But guess who does? Apparently, the demons do. The demons, this guy, actually uses the same term that Gabriel uses for Jesus at his birth. And I think that is an important observation because all throughout the Gospel of Mark, from chapter 1 to chapter 8, the whole premise is this question, who is Jesus? And story after parable, after miracle, after explanation, Mark is leading us on this journey of who is Jesus. Jesus is the guy who has power over the wind of the seas. But he's also someone who has power over darkness. So let me explain a little bit of what I think is happening. So let's go back to the very beginning of the Bible. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They are whole humans. They love God perfectly. They live in perfect harmony and shalom, right? The, the word for peace in Hebrew. They, they are naked and they are unashamed. They live in like perfect uh, temperature. Everything of the world is fine. But then we have this little character enter in, the serpent. 
I'm going to assume that's the devil. And what he does is he begins to send lies and he attacks the intellect and the mind of Eve and Adam. And the second they believe that lie and they disobey God, this is what happens. Darkness takes over their bodies and they become people who are less human. They, in essence, defy their creator and do what they think is right based on a lie that they heard, and therefore darkness enters the world. Now let me say something. Every single one of us has been tainted by this darkness in some way or another. Clearly this guy is at the full end extreme. And why wouldn't he be? If we're giving an example of how Jesus has power over darkness, they're going to use the most extreme case scenario to show how Jesus still has power over all darkness. But let me say something. Demon possession is real. I don't think that we look at the Bible and say, oh, that's kind of like Santa Claus, you know, some stuff we can take from, you know, I believe some of this stuff and some of it I don't. I I think demon possession is very real. And a matter of fact, if you go to a lot of third world countries, they'll talk about demon possession in, in a lot of real ways. Um, I had missionary friends, and even my wife had a professor who was a missionary in Papua New Guinea. Hey, yo, right? Tara lived there for a season of life as a missionary kid. And the, 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 the amount of de- uh, demon activity is, like, through the roof. But here's the thing. I think Satan, for us, kind of spreads his darkness in a lot more subtle ways. He does it... Um, by the things that we believe from our culture. Little lies that we somehow kind of pick up that make us less human. So one of those examples I would bring up is this lie that you can't believe in science and the Bible at the same time. And I think um, that has been a big one that Satan has used to kind of attack the, the intellect. Science is just like a tool to help us make sense of observations and different stuff, and there's no problem understanding that God is the initiator and the mover of all things, right? Like, we've had people come to our church before and talk about how they've done everything that a scientist does, and they still hold to a Christian worldview, and it has made no difference. In fact, science helps their worship of God because they get to see how God has created an orderly world. And so, I think other things like um, the issues on what healthy sexuality should look like, whether that be um, issues of premarital sex or looking at pornography or same-sex attraction, all of these things, I think, are ways in which Satan has used darkness against our minds. And we are all affected in some way or another. A lot of different things. So this guy, he seems crazy, but let me say something. In a way, we are all like him. We've all been tainted and distorted in some way by the darkness of spiritual forces. And Satan, even now, in our culture, is effective. We are all spiritual and physical at the same time. And I think for our culture, the, uh, the reason why I think people are fascinated by like the paranormal activity movies and the... Uh, the Exorcist and all these dumb horror movies is because there, there's an intriguing thought to is there more than just this physical world? And the Bible says absolutely. Matter of fact, guys, as Christians, 
we believe that some of the strongest realities are the things that we can't see or feel or touch. And so the disciples, the crowds, Jesus' family, no one really understands who Jesus is, but the demons know exactly who he is. And here is the cool part. Jesus, he's talking to these demons, and apparently there's not just one, there's like legion. And, he, and, they, and I don't know, like I, I spent some time looking at it. Apparently some demons, they didn't want to be like cast into eternal judgment. And what they were kind of begging Jesus was like, hey, we want to continue to roam the earth. And Jesus, I guess, kind of gives in to them. And he says, fine, I won't cast you into eternal judgment, but you can go roam the earth. And so he sends them into a bunch of pigs, which, by the way, kind of sounds expensive, 2,000 pigs to drown, right? Yeah, like, that's a lot of bacon. That's a sad day. <laughs> and you guys want to know something funny? The, the expression, um, where pigs fly, comes from this story, actually. Uh, when pigs fly, I guess. So, um, but, but here's, the, here's the point that what Jesus says to this guy. And I think at the very end, it's really unique. This guy, he's clear-minded. People kind of see him. They're like, whoa. Like, if you see a guy who at one point looked like he was on meth and couldn't control, and he was naked and screaming all this stuff, and then you come back to him, and he's like clean-shaven and had clothes on, and he's talking, and he says, how are you? You're like, what happened to this guy? And so this guy says, Jesus, I want to come with you. I want to come with you. But Jesus says, no. Stay and go and tell what the Lord has done for you. This is, listen, this is the point I like. What did Jesus do to this man? He restored his humanity. He made him a human again. We are less human when we sin, when we are affected by spiritual warfare. When we buy into the lies of darkness and Satan, we in effect become Less human, which is why Paul in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3 says how Christ makes a new humanity. There's no Greek nor Gentile. Jesus restores us. Do you know why Jesus can do that? Because he has power over darkness, over everything. And lastly, um, what I want to say about this point is that when we think about Jesus having control over the darkness, um, there are some things that I, I think really affect our hearts of faith in order to believe in the gospel. And sometimes I think that really is um, a force of darkness. So let me just say, if you need answers, if, if there is like questions you have, turn to Jesus. If you have things happen to you in your life that you just, you really kind of scratch your head at and you wonder, man, this doesn't seem right and this isn't fair and this is really hard, Turn to Jesus. If there is some just sin in your life that no matter how hard you try to kind of beat it and and work at it, let me tell you something. Turn to Jesus. Jesus has power over all darkness. And we can trust him. You see, ultimately, Jesus having power and authority over the wind and the seas, having power over the darkness was seen in the greatest of all miracles that he did. Jesus would one day die. And, and here's the thing. When he died, he didn't just stay dead. He really showed that he had power over everything by raising from the dead. And more than that, Paul would go on later to say in Colossians 2, he would say this, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, 
This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Listen. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In Jesus' death and resurrection, he showed that he, in fact, was the Lord of all creation and that he had ended all darkness for good. In Christ, we don't just have a casual acquaintance. In Christ, we do not just have someone we go to in big moments. Do you know what we have? We have very God himself, who demonstrated by calming a storm and casting out demons that you can trust him, that you can run to him. Imagine Jesus telling you, in in the hardest of the storm, in in the darkness that you feel present around you, him telling you personally, hey, I got you. I got you. And you know more than that? I died for you. And I give you free life and grace and justice and kindness because, because I can. This is not a Jesus to take lightly. It's a Jesus who we should trust him. Because Jesus is in control, we can trust him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being the Lord of all creation. We thank you that you are not a small God who cannot handle the problems and the situations we go through. But Lord, we pray that you give us hearts of faith, that we would see Jesus for who he is, as a wonderful, endearing, gracious Savior, Lord. And I pray if there's any area in our life where we are tempted to fix the problem on our own, if we are tempted to look to our own performance and our own good works, Lord, I pray that we would repent from those sins and that we would trust Jesus. Lord, thank you that we have the comfort and the promise to know that anything that happens to us, that you are going to be for us. And we can have the confidence to know that you will take care of us because Jesus, you, you have the power to stop the wind and the waves. Jesus, you have the power over all darkness. So Lord, I pray that tomorrow morning we wake up, we would live in the light and we would walk in confidence knowing that you aren't some far off cosmic being, but you are Christ who dwells in our hearts through faith. Jesus, be glorified in this hour, we pray. Amen.